Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week we're in DeSoto, Iowa with Jason and Nicole Smith of Dream Dirt, a Midwestern-based farmland auction and real estate company. They're sharing about their journey from careers in law enforcement and computers to land auctions. From being among the first to have online auctions to creating their own online auction software and expanding into online machinery auctions, they have used technology and modern marketing methods to forge a new path for farm and machinery sales in the auction industry. We talk about the importance of technology in their business and in the future of rural America and the key roles mentors have played in their journey. So here we go with Jason and Nicole. All right. Well, we're here in DeSoto, Iowa with Jason and Nicole Smith of Dream Dirt. Guys, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks Thanks for for having us. us. Well, I want to start out and have you guys tell us a little bit about you. Nicole, I've known you my whole life. We're actually from the same hometown. So it's extra special to have you on the podcast. But tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and um, growing up in Iowa. Okay. So I grew up in Odebol in town. And... um, like you said, I've known you since you were little. <laughs> yes. And um, I went, when I graduated from high school, I got my computer degree. And of course, I should back up a little bit. Do you want to know how I met Jason? Absolutely. Okay. So I met Jason, um, was that in the winter, Jace? Uh, it was New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah, New Year's Eve. And he happened to pull uh my girlfriends and I over that's how I first met him and so we met and I kind of caught up with him a few days later and we just kind of went from there and that's kind of how we got to know each other I love it (laughs) yeah so she's cute isn't she yes (laughs) I think he did good I think I did too so Jason you grew up So I was born in 1972, give you some reference of how old I am, 47 today. I grew up in northwest Iowa. Um, I grew up during the farm crisis, and everybody was poor as could be back then. But we didn't really know it, you know, us kids. We just had a great childhood. We did lots of hunting and fishing and lots of things you would do in the country and rural areas. And, you know, we didn't know it. I, I went on from there. I actually wanted to be a fish and wildlife biologist. It was my original plan, so I went to college and decided to get some experience in law enforcement. I wanted to be a game warden, really was my plans in life. And the more I did that, um, my dad and his dad had already been police officers, and I ended up becoming a third-generation police officer. And so I I started my law enforcement career in the early 90s, and I ended up retiring from that in 2008. But along the way, uh, 1995, New Year's Eve, I had the fortune to pull over a little blue Mustang that had some girls in it. (laughs) And while I didn't pay any attention to them, one of them come back and found me a couple of days later, and she's sitting across the table from me. So, you know, from there, that was 1995. She was a senior in high school. We ended up marrying in 1997. Um, I had a career in law enforcement for a long time. She was a computer programmer. And, uh, you know, there was became a point where we both said, you know, we've done enough of this. What do we, what's the next phase in life? Yeah. And were you living in the city at that time? 
We lived in Missouri Valley, Iowa, over in okay. western Iowa, and uh, so we always lived in town up to that point. We've been what I call townies now. We were we were townies, and we lived in town our entire life, but we were always drawn to the country for something. You know, I grew up hunting and fishing and camping and all of that stuff, and, and me she too. was I she was much the same and way. And in fact, when we lived in Missouri Valley, we always left town and went and hiked the hills there, the Los Hills, and we spent tons of time there. In fact, Jason and I sat on top of the hills and the Los Hills and looked out. We're like, we want to be out here. What does it take in order for us to do that? And that's kind of what really led us into the real estate. Mm-hmm. I love it. So when was it along this journey that Dream Dirt started as an idea and you thought maybe that's something we could do, we might want to do? I'll let you answer that, Jason, because it kind of started all with, with you. It, it- Kind of in that 2005 to 2009 time frame is where the word dream dirt hadn't been said yet, but the, you know, the idea, the concept was out there um, that we wanted to do something. A really smart person told me one time, we, I kind of like the idea of farming and I thought that would be cool, but you know, it takes an awful lot of money to start farming. A first generation farmer today has a hill to climb. That's just, I mean, it's immense, but a smart person told me, he said, you know, who makes, um, money during a gold rush it's the person that sells the sandwiches and the shovels and and I thought a lot about that you know if I couldn't be a farmer what else could I do to be involved in agriculture and be a part of that so that 2005-2009 time frame is where you know the concept is rolling through our head we could do this we couldn't do this and um, I got my first real estate license in 2005 and uh, you know kind of started messing around with it at that point selling houses and I kind of cut my teeth in real estate just selling houses and it was really easy for me but it wasn't what I wanted to do that wasn't my passion but I was able to to mentor under a uh, real estate broker at that point and uh, at least learn how it worked and how I could move forward and go to the next step. So where did you go from there to kind of think how do I get in the land direction and where did where did you get your feet wet? So this kind of this is like three stories all rolled together. <laughs> the very first farm I ever sold, I'm gonna just could be completely honest about it. I was driving down a gravel road. I'd went and showed a house in Fremont County, Iowa, and it was to a couple um, that weren't really interested in it. And they went their way, and I went my way. And I was driving back home, and I saw this homemade plywood sign said "Farm for Sale" on the side of the road. It had a 402 telephone number on it. And I said, wow, that'd be really fun to sell that. And I looked at it. It's a beautiful farm. I still remember it today. I just took Nicole back to it this last summer, and we just kind of stood up on the hill and looked over, and I said, that's the first farm I ever sold. And it was just was a beautiful farm. I can remember when I wrote up the description, I called it Colorado-like views because it reminded me a lot of Colorado. And this is in western Iowa. You know, people think we're flat and farmland. Beautiful farm. So anyway, I see this number, and I call the guy, and... I really don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I just don't, and I'm being completely honest about it. I've never sold land in my life, but I really want to do this. So I promised him the world. I, you know, I, I'll get more money than you're asking and all this stuff, and, and the good Lord was on my side on that one because he was asking $2,000 an acre. I sold the farm for him for $2,800 an acre in 10 days. And wow. so I'd promised him, and the guy was just as happy as could be. But after doing that one time, I was hooked. I mean, absolutely addicted. I just loved doing it because it was so different than selling houses and typical, you know, commercial or residential real estate. It was outside. It was rural. There was wildlife. There was farming, you know, all of the ag stuff. And I just loved it. From that point on, I decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to sell farms. That's great. 
So as you started to get more into the land business, how did you start to build a company that set you apart? You know, I think one of the biggest aspects that sets us apart from other auction companies, you know, when you look at the big auction companies in Iowa in the Midwest, many of them are a farm management company first and an auctioneer second. To them, the auction is the gravy. It's like the icing on the cake. It's the extra. We wanted to create a service that there was no doubt we were on the seller's side. There was no question There was no appearance of impropriety anywhere in the process. We wanted them to know we were their cheerleader. 100% were on their side. The world of land sales can be a dark place. I mean, land is the very foundation of what it takes to make it in agriculture, and there's a lot of people climbing over other people trying to get that resource. And that's done in a lot of ways. You know, some people are bold enough to go to um, the funeral and approach the family that quickly. Um... And those people have never sold a farm in their life. You know, they don't know. They don't have the resources and the knowledge. The people wanting to buy it want to buy it as cheap as possible. The people selling it want to sell it for as much as possible. Um, So we wanted to create a service that represents the seller that will, it's important to the people that built that farm, the generations that built that farm. It's really important to honor them with honesty, and as far as I'm concerned, a full price in the end. I think it's important that that family receive what the farm is worth without any sort of trickery or any other sort of interests in the background. Now, anybody that's ever listened to me or read anything, I have no problem with farm managers. I love them. They do what they do very well, and they do good at farm management. But the vast majority of those people are farm managers first. They are lined up with the buyers They have these buyers that are there constantly. They're always working with those buyers. And so they're standing next to those people going out trying to find them farms. They're not on the seller's side first like we are. We're standing there with the seller and the buyers come to us. And to us, that's what's really important is that we stand in the seller's corner. We want to give every bit of care and diligence to the buyer as possible. We're absolutely as honest as we can be with the buyers. But we want the sellers to know there's somebody in your corner, there's somebody you can get straight answers from, and there's somebody that you can trust to do the right right thing for you. I love that. So you had this vision for how you wanted to build this business. Where did you start? I I started, I have to tell a story. Um, I started really when I was a real estate agent, and I was telling the story about being a real estate agent, switching over to land. And I was talking to a guy about selling this tillable farm over in western Iowa, and he was, you know, seemed like he was going to list the farm with me, and I was going to get an opportunity to sell the farm for him. But then all of a sudden, he just disappeared. He was gone for like two weeks. I couldn't get him to answer the phone. He wouldn't reply to my emails or anything. And I finally caught up with him a couple weeks later, and he said, well, you know, sorry, Jason, I ended up giving that farm to an auctioneer. I thought he could do a better job. And at this point, I'm not an auctioneer yet. I don't know anything really about it. I grew up in Fonda, Iowa. We had Emmett and Jerry Hammond, who were the local auctioneers. That was as much as I knew about auctioneers. And so I drove, I was driving home, feeling kind of dejected. I was really sad. I wanted to sell that farm. And the thought hit me, well, if that guy could become an auctioneer, and I didn't even know who it was, there must be a way that I could become an auctioneer. And so I went home and I Googled how to become an auctioneer. And it turns out that we have the number one auction school in the world right here in Iowa. By the way, 
Nicole graduated from that school one year ago today, along with our eight-year-old son. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I ended up signing up to go to auctioneering school back in 2008. And don't know anything about it, but I go to auction school. It really changed my life. It changed how I saw the, um, the economics of selling land, the, the cost of money. And since that time, I have identified primarily as an auctioneer over a land broker. So I'm both. I sell land. I'm licensed. But I'm also an auctioneer. And I've, I've found over the years, in my experience, the auction method treats land sellers the best, and it gives them the best results in the end. So... Uh, that was how I ended up becoming an auctioneer and, and kind of taking our business from more real estate listings and kind of moving into the auction business. And at a point in there, Dream Dirt, the company, doesn't become a reality. At this point, Dream Dirt is a blog in 2008. It's just an online blog where I'm talking about land ownership, um, how to sell land, how to buy land, just kind of just information source. Um, but at the same time, I'm working with other brokers. I'm, my license is under them. I'm not actually a broker. I'm just a salesperson. But in 2012, we kind of broke into the idea Dream Dirt was going to become a company. It was going to become an LLC. It was going to be a real estate brokerage and an auction firm. And that's where we are today. That's great. You guys really helped forge a new path in bringing land auctions online. So as Dream Dirt kind of moved from a blog to a business, when did you decide there's an opportunity there and that is something we really want to try to do? Well, Jason, I'll let you start with how it decided to go online and then I'll go ahead and take off after that. So for the vast majority of the beginning of our auction and real estate business, we did live auctions. But right away in 2009, we started to kind of mess around with online auctions where we were maybe adding in online bidding with a live auction. And to be honest with you, in 2009, we probably were slightly ahead of time. It really, people weren't quite grasping it just yet. And we began to work with a software developer um, that ended up failing. So we built a system and we were using it and then they failed and so our software was gone. We had to go back to the drawing board and start over. So in there, what we started doing was using like a third-party software that we could lease from another company and use. And we we found them, the more we learned and the more um, procedures and the best practices that we created, they got better and better and better. And it become more accepted. As time moved on, you know, um, through the teens up into 2019 now, it's really well accepted. Even, you know, the online farmland and the online machinery and all those so in 2018, we really started to use the online only option, where the only option to bid is online. And that really went over well. We did the first one or two um, kind of with some trepidation, thinking, boy, you know, it really was at the seller's request. They didn't want to have a live auction, so it was kind of a lucky break for us to have this situation where they didn't want it, but they wanted an auction. So we tried it, and it went over really well. And then we did it again, and it went over really well. And we did it again, and it just kept on going to where now we're doing somewhere around 80% of our auctions as online-only bidding. We've put a lot of research and thought, and we have a ton of experience in doing it that way. And in the begin, we, we, know, we now know things we didn't know in the beginning, and we've learned a lot of things um, well, and through that's research or experience. Right, and that's where I actually became more involved in, in everything. 
Um, the online portion is what I handled. He did the marketing and, you know, bringing them all in and, you know, he, he did the auction calling and so forth, but I did the online part of it and it worked out wonderful. You know, we, it started in 2009 and that's when we had Ty. So he was our first. So, I mean, he was just a few weeks old sitting under the clerking table, bouncing in while we're doing, you know, <laughs> auctions and so forth. So, um, I did that part of it, and then I don't remember if you mentioned this or not, but those were with a third party. But now we have our own software that we created ourselves just from the experience because we fine-tuned, okay, we're in the land business, farmland business, and farm machinery. We need a software that works specifically for those things. Third-party software just doesn't cut it for that. So that's where we developed that sort of thing. Um, we do it for real estate, like Jason had mentioned, but we also do it for machinery. And we have one, which is what Rachel works on now. She kind of heads that up, but it's called our farm bid. And that's a perpetual auction with farm machinery. So they can put on any piece, any time. You know, you don't have to wait for the next month for an auction, you know, yeah. when they hold, okay, we have our monthly machinery auction. This is one, you know, you would take the pictures, you put it online and you can have bids coming in that night. Our, wow. our farm bid product is probably it's one, amazing. Of the, it's yeah. one of the most unique and interesting things in our auction business because it's completely different than any other online machinery auction where this is the way I explain it. I'm not sure that people will always grasp what I'm saying, but we broke out of the auction framework. You know, an auction, if you think of like a sale bill, it always has a date and a time and there's a certain amount of things in that auction. And when they're all sold, that auction's done. But we really broke out of that. And we created this farm bid, which is a never-ending farm machinery auction. And so every Thursday at 2 p.m. on our website, we sell farm machinery. And the farm bid auction never ends. People are always adding stuff to it. Things are always selling on Thursday. And it just keeps on going. It's sort of like eBay. If you've ever used eBay, um, it's a lot like that. And it's just perpetual and it just keeps on going. And it's the neatest product we've done. We've, we've had such good results for our clients with that product. It's really amazing. Wow. So you obviously have the advantage of having a much more visual experience for your customers through all the pictures and stuff you can show. What happens if they want to go look at a piece of land or even a piece of equipment in person? They they still do that. Yep. You know, that stuff all happens. The fact that it's an online auction doesn't change any of that. When we're marketing a farm for sale, um, we still go out and show it. You know, all that stuff happens. And people always ask us one thing that's like, how you know so what do you do for advertising we do the same exact advertising we would with a live auction we still do sale bills we create the videos and all of those cool things people still go out and walk the farms but just the opposite i gotta tell you the story my my business partner tom bradley tells the story a lot we've actually sold farms using online auctions that people never came and looked at isn't that they, crazy wow. they yeah. watch the video you know we and our company does really great videos Kristen lau who runs our communications department does all of those videos but our company actually won the number one auction preview video for real estate in the nation in 2016 from the National Auctioneers Association. Uh, those, those videos have been so good that people can look at them, they can see the farm, and they don't even have to come to it. They're willing to bid from another state, from somewhere else in the nation, to buy that farm without ever stepping foot on it. Wow, that's amazing. So as this started to catch on, how did you grow with the demand? How did you grow your team? Well, first of all, we have our communications director, and we also have Rachel Hoy. Rachel heads up the farm bid, 
So that allows me to step back and not have to handle that daily stuff there. Um, they've been, they come from Iowa State, so, and they're just amazing. They do great work. And it allows me to, I kind of step back from that part of it, and I'm more helping out with the seminars and the educational portions of things and that sort of thing. Um, and it's really, you know, sometimes it's hard to find that team that all meshes together, that everyone fits. And I think we finally found him. I mean, we, we all communicate together wonderfully. We did. And, you know, the real big, the building of our team really probably started back in 2014 when I met Tom Bradley, who he was an auctioneer in, in central Iowa. He had an auction company in, in the Winterset area. And he was selling a lot of machinery and hay-type auctions, a lot of on-site um, household or um, personal property-type auctions. And at that point in the growth of our company, we really needed to add somebody, and we really needed to add another working auctioneer, somebody that could be hands-on out in the field doing sales, you know, in terms of outselling our product and, you know, actually selling auctions. So we were kind of a jack-of-all-trades at that point. Well, and at the time, too, we weren't so much into the machinery as Tom was on his end. Right. Oh, Tom was, I mean, his right. company was much more into the machinery. We were much more into the land. And so Tom and I started to work together. He had his team and we had our team. You know, both of them were fairly small. But at some point in 2015, we said, we're stronger together. Let's join forces. And, and we did so under the, the banner of Dream Dirt. It brought Tom in as a partner in the company. And, you know, from there, we began to grow our team. So Nicole also didn't mention we have a transaction coordinator in the real estate oh, side, yes, which is Stephanie, Stephanie. Marrero. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a, another communications employee that runs our Mason City office, Riley Dare. So, um, you know, on top of that, we've also got this network of salespeople out in the field. We've got Mike Conaway down in Missouri, and then we've got a, uh, some real estate agents. Michael Pfeiffer and uh, Brad Tadlock. And, and they have teams under them. So. Yep, James and Shana Sprinkle down in mm -hmm. southeast Iowa. So, you know, our, our sales team is growing as well at the same time. We kind of have them, you know, two different sides. you got the sales side and then the admin side of things. That's great. So as you've built this, there have been some key people that you've mentioned because, I mean, you came from being a police officer to and a computer background into a completely new business, a completely new field. What role have mentors played in this journey? Well, I, I can talk at least from my aspect of loving the agricultural world now. You know, I grew up at my grandma and grandpa Paul Weitz, yep. you know, all the time, all the time. I can remember laying by the swimming pool and you can smell the corn pollen, you know, yep. or the tractor rides in the bucket, that kind of stuff. And being able to experience that with the kids is awesome. So I would say, and, and Rebecca, my aunt Rebecca, you know, they live on the, the farm and just all of that time on there, I would say they gave me the best mentorship when it comes to the actual being, taking part of the agricultural world. So that would be it for me. And I, you know, I had a lot of mentors just generally in life prior to getting into the real estate business. Um, but into the real estate business, you know, I first brokered under uh, a broker named Larry Gabert. He was, for the most part, a residential broker, but real estate brokerage is real estate brokerage. He was able to kind of help me get my foundation and get my feet under me. And, you know, he was a really local business. And from there, I went on to go and broker with a, a nationally known land broker, 
um, in a, a large uh, national company that sold a lot of land. And I was actually in the beginning of that company, in the formation of that company. And I spent almost five years with them. Uh, we had a television show that went along with it. So we did a lot of uh, video and audio type production type things. But I was also able to shadow him. And that probably was a really unique experience. And the fact that I went to him and I said, I'll work for free. I don't care. I just want to follow you around. I mean, if and I've literally said to him, I, I'll shine your shoes. I'll make you lunch. I don't care. I just want to see what you do. I want to see how you work with people. I want to see why you're so effective. And he said, absolutely. You know, you can stay in my basement. We've got an extra bedroom, and you can spend as much time with me as you want to. So I did. I spent a lot of time out in Illinois just following him around. Um, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I would get his uh, um, Ranger already. I would get it hooked up to the trailer just for the opportunity to sit in the back seat and listen to him talk to people. That was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life, at least in, in training and learning how to sell real estate, how to relate to people. And he was a really good person, too. So it, it helped me understand the value of the real estate broker and the auctioneer in the process, the service that we give and the things that we do for people, how we help them, how we solve their problems, how we do a good job for them. Um, you know, beyond that, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with a lot of people. Uh, another, I mean, a well-known, nationally known auctioneer, Paul Bear, he owns the auction college in the state of Iowa. He's an Iowa boy, lives in Colorado now. And I had the fortune um, that he kind of took me under his wing some time ago after graduating from auction school. And he's always kind of kept track of me, and he's always made sure to reach out um, anytime that he could help or offer advice and he was always there anytime I wanted to call him up and say, you know, what do we do here? How does this work? How do we get the best results from this? Um, in fact, I mean, he's offered me a job teaching at the auction school. So I've been teaching at the auction school. I get an opportunity to go back this week and teach this, the November class that's in there right now. Um, through there, I get to meet a lot of people too. The other instructors at the Worldwide College of Auctioneering just do a super job and you get to meet all of these people from all around the United States. On top of that, I'm a member of the National Auctioneers Association, as is Nicole, um, and lots of state associations for auctioneers around the country where you get to meet a lot of neat people and network with them and learn things as well. Well, what started out in Iowa has now grown to serve the world, and you've literally sold uh, land in other continents. Yep. <laughs> so was that originally part of your plan or was that just a nice surprise along the way? That was a bit of a surprise. You know, when, when you're building a company and anybody's built a company will laugh at me a little bit, but in the beginning, you just take any business you can get, yeah. you know, just like, dear Lord, I hope we have a land auction coming this week. <laughs> and that's the way the beginning was. And that's really where, you know, we, we, uh, we were able to market 10,000 acres in Paraguay and it kind of came as a surprise to us. And, and I'll tell you how that come about. We sold a farm over in East, Northeast Iowa. Tom Bradley and myself were out there. We sold the farm. And when we finished, we went to talk to the buyer that bought it. He was off site. He wanted to bid, uh, you know, remotely using the internet. So they, they did that. We went out to get the papers signed and he said, Hey, by the way, do you guys sell farms in Paraguay? And we're like, yeah, of course we do. You know, <laughs> we sell farms anywhere. And so we got that opportunity. And you want to talk about an eye opener, going and doing business in another country. Um, you know, we set Tom on an airplane and he spent, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you how many hours on an airplane flying out there to this farm. And then when he got there, he had to take, you know, the, 
the dirt roads and see, you know, <laughs> how the world. Motorcycle yeah. bikes, you know. And <laughs> I had, I got to see some of his videos. He was texting back to us, you know, of the crazy driving down these <laughs> rutted up roads and stuff. But they're growing soybeans down there. They're building their infrastructure. And it was really, really neat. Uh, so he went out there and he did all that. He got all the photos and, and created all the advertising for the farm, um, brought it back. And we did an online only auction. We were able to do all the advertising for that thing you know, from right here using today's digital technologies, it was a really cool experience doing those types of things. And and on top of that, I've had experiences selling land in Canada, which is a whole different story too, because Canada owns all the land and the people essentially lease it. So you're kind of selling leases up there. Um, and it's, so it's a different kind of experience, but yeah, we've, and we've been all over the Midwest. I think I've sold land in seven or eight states in the Midwest as well, so. That's great. So what has surprised you most about this business besides going to other continents? <laughs> um, I don't know. What's most surprising to you? For me, it's the need that the people have that are selling their farmland. I, I think that has been, you know, when you're on the outside and you look in from the outside and if you haven't been a part of it, it's like, oh, well, they sold their land, they're moving on to the next thing and someone else takes over. But when you get to be a part of it and you learn about their life, you know, uh -huh. and the effects of it, I think for me that's the most exciting part of, of doing an auction. Not to mention the, all the people, I mean, the online part and all the people you can reach. And it's, it's just amazing that, oh my gosh, someone from Florida just bought this Iowa farmland, you know? Yeah. That outreach is pretty amazing to me as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and tip, typically those people tend to be, they have some connection to Iowa. You yeah. Know, the, the people from out of state and stuff. If I would have just answered the question without Nicole answering, I think I would have said the one thing that surprises me most is the millions of details that we juggle with each individual yeah, auction and when you have too. multiple auctions going on and you have employees and bills to pay and all these, there's so much of that stuff. But I think Nicole hit on an important point of maybe something that surprised me the most was maybe the difficulty of selling family farms. Mm -hmm. You know, before I came into the business, I would have just looked at it as people are just selling a farm. It wouldn't have looked yeah. like that complex of a thing. But the more I become involved, and, and like always, I have a story. I was, I was contacted by a gentleman at about 2.30 in the morning one night. My phone's ringing, I, and it's not uncommon for me to get phone calls like that. And after having been a police officer, it's not even surprising. So... I got up and I answered his phone call and he said, hey, my family's selling a farm and I want to bring you in on the deal. Okay, so tell me the story. And he kind of tells me the story and I can tell there's some issues between brothers and sisters and siblings and they're having a difficult time, which isn't unusual. I mean, that's, that's pretty typical when you're selling a family farm with multiple siblings. So he kind of tells me the story. They're having some trouble. And I, so I agree that I'll come in and I'll consult them and I'll give them some ideas what the best way to go about things and see if we can't kind of calm things down a little bit. And that's one of the things that we bring to the table is, is getting everybody there and kind of, you know, trying to bring the tempers down and try and bring people together. And most of the time we can do that. So in this particular one, um, I talked with him quite a bit and I talked to some of the other siblings, but there was about nine of them and I didn't get a chance to talk to all of them until we agreed to have a meeting at the lawyer's office. And so we went to the lawyer's office and... We sat down, great big, huge table. Um, it's all lined with bookshelves, you know, bookcases and bookshelves all the way around. And this gentleman that called me, 
in the middle of the meeting, all of a sudden just lost his temper. He stood up and started grabbing books off the shelf and throwing them at me and throwing them at his siblings <laughs> and everything. And it was really at that point early in my career where I realized, you know, there's a lot of passion that goes Pain into this. And, and mm-hmm. there's the skill of an auctioneer is much more than just being able to talk fast. His ability to deal with people, to be able to recognize things, to be able to bring people down to earth and put people back together. Most people wouldn't even think of those qualities in an auctioneer, but that's a lot of what we do behind the scenes. And maybe the most surprising thing to me was that it's really difficult for people to sell a family farm. It's really, really hard for them. And it can tear some families apart if they don't go about it right. You know, I know some people that are still, you know, 10, 12 years into the process, still mad at each other about certain things. And that doesn't need to be. I get why it's difficult. And I get why it's permanent. But one thing that I really enjoy and surprised about is that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, the roots run deep on they those do. family farms. They do. Yeah. But it's very satisfying when you can take the, it's an overwhelming process for them, but when you can take that out of it for them and walk them from the beginning to the end and have a successful auction or sale of their land, however they choose, and that they're happy, yeah, it's very satisfying. Yeah. And Tom can tell you, he's sitting behind me, and I'm not even going to look at him, but he can tell you a time or two that I've shed some tears. Yeah. When, you know, we, one particular one that I really remember was a farm we sold in Woodbury County. You remember that one, Tom? Woodbury County, and these people were in trouble. I mean, they had financial problems, and they really needed us to come through for them. They really needed to have a good day. I mean, the stars and the moon and the planets all had to line up perfect to get this done. And boy, did it ever. And it did by like plus $2,000 an acre. It was just an amazing feeling to have lived through that anxiety with them, to have sat and listened to their concerns their fears, to have known their situation, to know how a bad outcome was going to be really bad for them and how a good outcome was going to be exceptional for them. And we did, and I don't, I'm not going to take credit for it myself. You know, the good Lord was looking out after them or, you know, just everything was perfect. The farm was worth it. The bidders cooperated, whatever it was, it really worked out. And that's some of those moments that it's just really hard to keep your composure. It's really hard to not see a deeper meaning in what we do yeah what advice would you have for someone who has a dream like you did and you're like I think this is what my passion is and I want to pursue it but I don't have experience in it and I don't even really know where to start what would you say to them do it I mean honestly we came to a point where we started doing it and we were nervous to go farther. Mm-hmm. I, I used to say this in the beginning of this venture was don't get any farther offshore than you can get back. And at a point when I partnered with Tom, I said, well, we're all in. We're all in. Yep. I mean, if we crash and burn, we crash and burn. Uh-huh. That's the way it is. But that's the only way you can be the best is if you go all in and say, you know what, we're going to give it our all. And if it works, awesome. You know, yeah, and I, I think it's doing great. It yeah. really, and it's, you know, I'd tell anybody this: if I can do it, really anybody can do it. I mean, getting into business, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know anything about auctioneering. 
I was a police officer. You know, I used to wear a bulletproof vest and a gun to work, and I went and I straightened out people's problems enough to give them another 24 hours to get themselves back in another argument of some sort. That was my life for many, many years, and I just had this passion to do something else. Um, you know, I suppose a lot of people say they do this, they got into this because they wanted to help people. That really wasn't the reason I got into it. I did it because I, I, this was going to be my second career. I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to do something exciting, and this seemed like a way to be able to do it. Now that I'm in it, I really do enjoy the, the rewarding part of helping people and seeing how we play that role. I couldn't see that role initially. Now I can but if you have a dream of some sort, you know, just go do it. Just, you know, get into it. Get started today. Because if you don't, you're never, ever going to get started. That's what I was going to say. If you don't just jump in and do it, there's never going to be the perfect time. So just commit. And then you align yourself with the people that are in what you want to do. And, you know, you grab your mentor and you learn. And the more knowledge you build, the more confidence you have and you just fly. And when you find failure, be thankful for it. Um, yep. The, the best thing you can do is is fail. I mean, it's, it's essentially a free lesson. We've had some really bad failures along the way. I can remember like the one biggest one really early on. We hired a um, we hired a guy to do video, video production and, for us. Yep. Video and, and editing and so yeah. Forth. I mean, he was going to do social media and stuff. And he said he would take the job and he would move here from Indiana if we gave him seventeen thousand five hundred dollars up front to get moved here and relocate. And he did, and after 11 days, he went back home with our $17,500 in the middle of the night, and we never saw him again. There's, I mean, just fail, uh, that's essentially, that's like the price of a couple of years of college right there, so yeah. we got a pretty good education, and, you know, we've had times where we've had other financial disasters where, you know, people have written bad checks or, you know, whatever it might be, and they were really difficult, but you always get through them, and you know, if you're not failing here and there, you're just probably not doing it right or you're just so good, then keep on going yeah. because if you're that good, you're going to make her. Just don't give up. That's what I would say. You just pick yourself up, and as long as you can learn from that, then you just do nothing better than better yourself and your company. I, I saw a chart one time that showed, uh, it showed people most think of success as like a straight line from point A to point B, when in reality it's just a squiggly, crazy uh -huh. line that goes all over. I wouldn't even call myself successful at this point. You know, we're still building. We're still going. Maybe one day we crash and burn. I don't know, but we're going to keep on going. Uh, we got to this point. There isn't any sense in turning back. Yeah, that's great. Well, on a personal level, you two are very adventurous and spontaneous, which I think is awesome. Tell us about some of your most fun adventures, just to give people a little taste of what life is like for you. Okay, so... I'll just share the recent ones that okay. we've, we've done. Okay, so we have four kids. They are all, well, how are they? Three, how old are our kids? Three, five, eight, and nine, okay? So when you go somewhere, it's not just like, oh, let's go. You got to pack bags and get everything ready. Well, in our family, Jason is like, you know what? Sounds fun. Let's go to South Dakota fishing. Okay, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm packing up bags for the whole family and it's literally like an hour or two later we are in the car and heading to South Dakota for like a three or four day fishing trip which is awesome and you know one of the best things about being in Dream Dirt is it allows us to do that and the technology allows us still to connect in if you need to but still enjoy that family time so that's 
one of the crazy things that we've done lately. We've done that three or we've four done, times. <laughs> we've done a lot of trips like that, you know, and probably even clear back in the beginning, I can remember when, you know, I was a police officer and I'd have to work the night shift and I'd get off work at three yeah. o'clock in the morning and I would, I'd finish with work. I'm wide awake and ready to go. And so I would call Nicole and say, Hey, get up. We're going to go to breakfast. So I'd go pick her up and and uh, we would drive to Denison to the Ampride and eat breakfast at 3, 30, 4 o'clock uh -huh. in the morning. We did that a lot. We did a lot of things <laughs> like that. And uh -huh. we made a few trips to Colorado kind of out of the blue. And Our first date, we went all the way up uh, from Sioux City over to Spirit Lake Okoboji and then all the way back and around. I mean, that was like... That was on our first date. several hundred miles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was so much fun. And just going wherever, you know wherever we land. It Can was I tell them the story fun. about our trip to the mountains? Sure. When we were both, when we were both younger, we decided uh, we were going to go to the mountains and, and go on a trip, but neither one of us had really ever been to the mountains before, never really experienced that. We didn't know if they have rattlesnakes or bears or exactly <laughs> what they have out there, but we're like, hey, we'll just go buy a tent and go to the mountains. We don't know nothing about going to the mountains. Both of us done a lot of camping and fishing and stuff in our lives, but we've never been in the mountain environment. So we just packed the car and just head for the mountains. And so we, we, uh, we had a tent and we had an air mattress in it and I was a police officer so I was carrying a pistol with me like I always did all the time and we're laying in, in the tent in the mountains and there's several other people camped around there and all of a sudden we heard a bear or something and we couldn't really figure out what in the world was that. We lay there and I was silent again and we heard a bear again. I'm like, oh boy, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> I thought there's a bear out there. I don't know if it's in our cooler or what's going on. So I decided to finally, I sneak over to the door of the tent and I'm going to be brave. And I zip the tent up to look at it in a little bit. Well, one of our neighbors has a minivan that has one of those sliding doors on the <laughs> sides. It sounds like a bear. A, a sliding door. <laughs> He's ready to shoot the sliding door. <laughs> I'm glad that's all it was. Turns out there was no bear. <laughs> that's good. So at some point along this journey too, you guys decided to move to the country yourselves, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's been wonderful. Um, we rented, how many acres was that? 200 271. Yeah, so we went from town to 271 acres with cows, chickens, pigs. I mean, wow. we went all out. And it was just, it's the best experience. Um, we had all three of our kids, and then the fourth was on a different farm, but all three of our kids were on that farm with us. They've all experienced, you know, what it's like in the duties you have and responsibilities. And I, I just think it's one of the most wholesome ways to grow up, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. And that was in 2008 when we yeah. finally moved to the country. Yeah. And that really came, we were, we were in the Lush Hills, we were hiking, we had a couple Labradors, we'd take them out <laughs> in the hills to get the energy out of them. And we just sat one day and said, you know, what do we want to do with our lives? Where, where do we want to be? And we decided at that point, we want to move to the country. We don't want to live in town and have neighbors close to us. Not that we didn't like people. It's just that freedom of that spread your wings That's out That's what I would country. say. I would say living in the country is like just a free spirit. You uh -huh. know, you just have the freedom. Yeah. I love it. I, I love all of the same romanticism that she does, but I'm fascinated by the rural economy and how things work. Um, you know, to me, it's fascinating that in the beginning of this, I really started out, I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted some connection. I think that every person has some internal biological desire to connect with the soil and the dirt and to grow food. And 
Um, you know, people talk about um, fresh grown this and fresh grown that or corn raised beef. And there's, I think everybody has some internal biological connection to those types of things. I love all those things. But the, you know, when I look at the economy, the rural economy and how the, everything revolves around the farmer, you know, in the beginning I wanted to be, cause that's like the cool job being the farmer. Um, but when you really look at the economy, the farmer's kind of the person where all the money flows through and none stops there, you know? <laughs> he's paying the seed salesman, he's paying the auctioneer, he's paying the landlord's rent, he's paying all of his taxes on all of his land, and the money's just flowing through him going to everybody else. So you look at that economy out there in the country and how it revolves around the farmer. I'm really fascinated by those types of things. And, uh, you know, I don't know that many people really recognize that. Everybody wants to be the farmer because it's a cool job and they think that they've got the money, but... In reality, you know, the money's passing through them. We all kind of revolve around the farmer and the rural economy, and I think that that's pretty neat. Yeah. What excites you most about the future of rural America? The most exciting thing, it has to be technology at this point in our lives. Um, small farms are getting fewer. Bigger farms are getting bigger. And I know that some people look down on that, but the whole world, that's happening in every industry. Mm -hmm. It's not just farming. And I know that some people have problems with that, but we have no other option other than to grasp that. The economies of scale dictate that farmers grow, whether you're a dairy farmer, you're a grain farmer, you're a livestock farmer, whatever it might be. And that's the same with the auction business. The world dictates that we grow. They, you know, you've heard the saying before, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that really is true of just about any business, any industry. And I know people take exception more in the farm world. And I think there's some reasons for that. You know, we have these um, pumpkin patches or we have these farm days and stuff where we invite people out to the farms and we show them our old A's and B's and M's and G tractors. And we have the hay racks behind them and it's all romantic and it's all, you know, 1940s, 50s kind of a look. But that's not what the farm is anymore. And as the world grows with technology, farming is going to grow with it. The whole countryside, I mean, everybody, I said earlier, you know, everything revolves around the farmer, whatever he has, the rest of the world is going to cater to that. You know, I said the, in a gold rush, the, the people that are going to get rich is the people selling the shovels and the sandwiches. And that's those seed dealers. It's all the people surrounding the farmer that are going to serve them. So the farmer's going to dictate those things. And technology-wise, as we look at what's happening and the possibilities of even autonomous tractors and those things, coming into the world of agriculture, it will change rural America. Um, as a real estate professional myself, I look around, and one thing that bothers me about rural America is the state of our real estate, especially in smaller towns. I really believe that when you fast forward 50 years from now, Iowa's going to have 5 to 7% fewer towns. I believe that those towns will eventually you know, the real estate is what keeps those towns alive. That's what allows people to live there. That's what generates the tax dollars. That's how the city council operates. And as you see those towns move from incorporated to unincorporated, which I think we're going to see a lot of over the next 50 to 100 years, um, it's just like the farmer. The smaller are getting fewer and the bigger are getting bigger. The same is true of towns and real estate. Um, those towns that want to survive, I think they really have to really grab on. Our company started in Mondamon, Iowa. Very small town, 300 mm -hmm. people. And we eventually grew enough that we could no longer exist there because the internet connections weren't good enough for us to do. They weren't good enough and they weren't reliable enough. And 
while we would love to still have some sort of a satellite there, it just didn't work out. We had to move our offices to bigger towns where that infrastructure could serve us better. You know, we call this office our Des Moines office, but it's really out in small town of DeSoto on the western edge of, of here. We really like that smaller field and the way things are out here. But we also have the Mason City office, which is right in front of Walmart. You know, it's just kind of the dead center of all of the, the ability and the capabilities right there. So that's my thought. I mean, technology is changing us. It has changed us rapidly, but it's going to continue on. We've not reached the point where it's over yet. And all of those people that revolve around the farmer are going to have to grasp what they're doing and um, cater to that. And I also think that these towns that want to survive, you know, for another 100 or 200 years really will have to work on catering to that as well and becoming better at all of those things. I think you hit everything good there. I think even us as a smaller business right now, we also stay on top of our technology and we continue to come up with new ideas so that we can serve the, the same people and be able to stay on top of that and it changes fast it technology change. changes so fast right now mm -hmm. yeah it's hard to keep up it is <laughs> what's next for you guys and for dream dirt more of the same i hope yeah you know we want to keep going we're you know we're working to scale um into um states surrounding us right now we do 90 percent of our business in iowa and we're working to scale out to Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota areas. We've spent a lot of time researching those markets and learning more about them, what's needed there, who's there, what do they do, what uh, types of services or products really serve those people the best. Um, so that's really what, that's our next plan, is just to keep on doing more of what we're doing now, just maybe on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, how do we follow along? Well, you can go to our website, it's dreamdirt.com, and you can see all of our information from there. And you can also go to bid.dreamdirt.com if anyone's interested in any of the auctions or bidding there, and that's where you can find our farm bid auction as well. And you can always follow on our social media too. Yep. We've got, if you go on Facebook, search for Dream Dirt, and uh, we're on, on uh, there. And Nicole also has her own page, Nicole Smith Farm and Land Auction, so you can follow on that one. We're on Twitter and YouTube and all of those cool places too. Okay. Well, we will link to all that in the show notes. Wonderful. Guys, thanks for being on the podcast. This has been great. We Thank really you. appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Well, I love how Jason and Nicole broke out of the typical auction framework and have built such a great business and how they went all in in an industry where they didn't have previous experience, but believed in their dream and have worked hard to bring their vision to life. Be sure to check out the show notes. And if you're looking to buy or sell farmland, the Dream Dirt team is ready to help. Huge thanks to Jason and Nicole for being on the podcast. And thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day, everybody.